Welcome to Shift the Gravity, a podcast of Traders Point Christian Church where we talk about what it means to be followers of Jesus who shift the gravity of whatever room we walk into. Let's join the conversation. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is uh, Aaron. I'm with uh, my good friend Ryan Bramlett, mm. and we are here on the Shift the Gravity of the Room podcast. That's mm. actually not the technical name. Mm. It's Shift the Gravity podcast. Yeah. I'm already getting it wrong. Close enough. Yeah. But the big idea is that we want to shift the gravity of whatever room we are in, whether that's at work or at home. Mm. And uh, so, Ryan, good to be with you, man. Hey, great to be with you. You look fantastic, as Thank you. always. I appreciate that. Um, means a lot. <laughs> but yeah, good to be with you. Good to continue this conversation. And like you said, it's all about how do we, um, both individually and collectively as a church, shift the gravity um, in whatever environment we're in. And uh, today, with love to kind of look at one of those that you hinted at uh, in your sermon when you talked about this concept. And even during our first podcast, we talked about it a little bit of like gravitating towards God's Word, which is a big part of Sundays. Obviously, we open God's Word, we we read from it, uh, we learn from it. Um, and for us, I mean, we're just wrapping up a series where we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, mm. uh, verse by verse, 11 weeks, three chapters, pretty pretty wild. So, um, so much, so much was in there. Um, but just, can we take a step back and just say big picture, why the Sermon on the Mount? What was the, why the significance of it? Why did we dedicate so much time to studying these few verses? Well, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, Jesus' most epic sermon mm. that he preached mm-hmm. um, in the Gospels. And I'd never done, done, obviously done parts, bits and pieces of it, but never all the way straight through it. Yeah, um, You know this, like one of my preaching heroes is a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones that preached in London uh, during World War II. Yep. And uh, he was this uh, little Welsh preacher. Um, and he spent, geez... Uh, probably the better part of a year in Sermon on the Mount and then put it into a book, Mm -hmm. Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite books. Incredible book. So good that most weekends I was like, can I just read what he said? And then we'll we'll get out of here. We'll read the Bible, then we'll read him, and then we're good. Yeah. So good. And I'd read that book about a decade ago. Mm. And his introduction to the whole Sermon on the Mount is you know, worth the price of admission. And it was so good, the way he frames it up. Mm. And then in addition to that, when I was in college, I read a little book by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. Mm. And The Divine Conspiracy has a lot of him unpacking. Dallas Willard was a philosopher, Mm. I believe, that taught at UCLA, Mm. I think. But uh, he passed away several years ago. He was real close with John Ortberg. Mm. And uh, I remember reading that when I was in college, reread it, and uh, felt like it was a good series to kick off the year mm-hmm. uh, because the way that we lay out sermon series is not random. We're not just like, oh, that'll be an interesting idea. Let's go do that. Um, we really lay out the message series for the year sort of like a menu. Yeah. And say more. Who I got this idea from was uh, Tim Keller, mm. uh, who's just uh, the Yoda of our time. For sure. And uh, Tim said that, and Tim, started a church in New York City in mm-hmm. the 1980s. New York is obviously very transient. Mm-hmm. And he said that, um, in the name of the church is Redeemer, but he said that he, they have people probably about 36 months before they move. Wow. And I would say that there, it may not be 36 months, but it's a time frame. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think about all the people that have come and gone 
through this church, yes. not because they got mad and left, but mm-hmm. because they just moved. I just mm-hmm. ran into somebody at Meyer. They were mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm moving to Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. Like, so that, that happens a lot. And so while you've got your people, what do you want to teach them? Mm-hmm. So if you do have them for 36 months, what do you want to teach mm-hmm. them? And so I lay it out like a menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, another analogy we've talked about is like a farmer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's not like farmers don't just harvest, 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 harvest. Yep. You can't. It's impossible. You'll ruin the soil. No, there's a season to plant, and there's a season to water, and there's a season mm-hmm. to fertilize. And and so I think the same thing, I think through the same lens in preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a season. Yep. So it's like the beginning of the year is all about like everybody's thinking goals, New Year's resolutions, fresh beginnings. Mm. That's a great time to do a spiritual formation series. Yes. And all that is is just like how, how do we form our spirits into more and more in the image and likeness of Jesus? What are the mm. disciplines? What are the routines? Mm-hmm. And we never necessarily say, hey, yeah. this is our spiritual formation series, but that's what it is. Mm. And so the Sermon on the Mount was good for that. And then as we progress through the year, you know, we move into a series on, it's a good to do a series of, on Jesus around mm-hmm. Easter. Mm-hmm. And then a series, some kind of relationship series, whether it's marriage, parenting, whatever. Uh, and then the summer is a great time to do an Old Testament character. Mm-hmm. It's a great time to do the Psalms or the Proverbs. Mm-hmm. We're going to do Fruits of the Spirit mm-hmm. this summer, mm-hmm. which we're really looking forward to. And then August through Thanksgiving is a great time to dive into a book mm-hmm. and just drive right through mm-hmm. it. And so regardless of whether we are in a thematic series mm-hmm. or we're just going verse by verse like what we're doing now or what we've been doing with Sermon yep. on the Mount, we're always going to exposit mm-hmm. about and I say exposit, I mean, read it, explain it, apply it. Yep. That's what that word means. Yep. And uh, we're always going to do 10 to 20 verses because that's mm-hmm. about what you can do mm-hmm. in a 35, 40 minute message, or if you're preaching an hour and 20 minutes. I was going to say it if you weren't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> but, it's a lot to cover. But uh, so anyway, uh, we were like, let's tackle Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of the year. Mm. I'm talking a lot here, mm-hmm. by the way. Feel You're free to interrupt great. me, Ryan. No, no. You Keep never rolling. Do. You yeah. are rolling. But um, uh, we, I didn't want to move to it too fast. I felt yeah. like the mistake, uh, maybe mistake's too strong of a word, but the thing that I wanted to do with Romans mm-hmm. was spend a little bit longer in mm-hmm. it. But I didn't know how long people would hang with us through it. Mm-hmm. I think that people will hang a long time in a series. Yep. I think they're more open. I think we've conditioned people to three to five week series, mm-hmm. but I think that they'll hang with us longer. I don't think they get tired of good content. Yes. The Bible's full of good content. Mm-hmm. They get tired of graphics mm-hmm. and colors mm-hmm. and that sort of a thing. I think yep. if we rebrand it, they'll hang with us. And so I, I wish I would have done like three 10-week series mm-hmm. in Romans. Mm-hmm. That next time we go through it, that's probably what we'll do. Love it. We'll teach the 10 weeks. We'll take a break. We'll yep. teach 10 weeks. So when we got to Sermon on the Mount, I was like, let's just take our time. Mm-hmm. Let's just walk, walk through this in another 11-week series. Mm-hmm. And just really kind of marinate mm-hmm. on what it is that Jesus is saying to us through this yeah. really important, difficult, challenging, life-transforming for sure message. Man, no, that's so good. And even as you were talking about breaking it down of like spiritual formation and relationship, it's like it's like a very even if you look at the concept of the things, you know, the greatest commandment, what God said of like, love God, love people. It's almost mm. even set up some of that way of like, hey, we're going to learn about God, about his scripture, about his word. And then we're going to learn how to apply that through a relational context. So that that's is a great way of saying it. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is basically a further explanation mm. of how to love God and love people. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I know... Uh, You've read the Sermon on the Mount before, yeah. probably. Um, <laughs> but 
a good Christian man like yourself, you've read it. Um, I've read it. But I know even for me this time around, doing this deep of a dive into it, there was some new insights, some new threads that I hadn't even picked up on before. Uh, so for you, what were some of those things that kind of stood out to you um, from doing this kind of a study through the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, I mean, there always is whenever we do a deep dive like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we have like a stack of commentaries uh, that we're reading through. Yeah helping us understand, get a good grasp on it so that way we can teach it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always want to teach the Bible in such a way that um, I give people confidence to read it on their own. Mm. So I never want to get up there. I I actually cringe a little bit when people come up and be like, man, you're just so smart. Mm. And I'm just like, no, I'm not. I just Mm. read I would week. like to hear it once, though. Um, yeah. I know you get it a lot. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe one day, Ryan. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't want people to like think that... I don't want people to be intimidated, like, well, I've mm. got to have somebody else explain this to me mm. who's really smart. Yes. I want to be able to actually take it off. One of my... I love this. I love it when somebody comes up who's like a professor at a college, you know, somebody that's got some mm-hmm. intellect mm-hmm. and just say, man, that really made me think mm. that... I, and then have somebody come up to me and go, hey, my fifth grader was sitting in there today and they were yes. listening and they were understanding it. To mm. me, that feels... Um, very balanced, yeah. where it's like it's substantial enough for the intellect to really feel challenged, mm-hmm. and it, there was a child in there that could grasp what I was saying as mm-hmm. well. It's challenging to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, I, I was reminded once again of like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said this <laughs> This was super intimidating, by the way. It's in the intro to his book, yeah. Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. where he said this has is easy to uh, teach poorly. Mm. And it often is. And I was like, oh, no, let's do this. <laughs> We're getting ready to <laughs> go we 11 <laughs> weeks in this. I don't want to be accused of teaching it poorly. Yeah. And uh, he just said one of the ways that we do that is this is a list of virtues mm. or this is a list of things that God expects you to do to be saved. Mm. Or even this is all the things that you do as a super Christian mm-hmm. or all of that can be misread through that. Yeah. And um, I think that that was very helpful for me. I've tried to just remind our church every week in the introduction Mm -hmm. that this is a set of lenses that Mm -hmm. Jesus is giving us Mm. to say the Sermon on the Mount is what the world uh, uh, originally was, Mm. what it should have been, could have been, would have been, and one day will be, Mm. uh, because Jesus has come on a rescue mission to redeem what has been broken. And so he's basically what he's doing is he's painting a picture of how things work in the kingdom of mm. God, which is why it seems so unreachable to mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. which is why it seems so challenging, mm-hmm. which is why it seems so um, it it it, um, it seems upside down. Yeah. And what I've tried to say is Jesus is flipping things actually right side up, yeah. Because the way that we see the world through our sinful condition, mm. uh, sin is a state of being, not mm. just the verbs mm. of the th- wrong mm-hmm. things that we do. And it actually, we see everything upside down from what they originally intended to be. Mm. And Jesus is flipping it right side up, which is disorienting. Yes. It's like it's like Neo in the Matrix. Yeah. You know, he just takes the pill and mm-hmm. wants to throw up. You're just like, <laughs> I'm seeing all this um, in, a, in a way that I don't intuitively see it. Oh, that's so good. I, I know for me... What really kind of like began to leap off the pages was how connected and how intentional Jesus was with every word, every story, every parable, every teaching. I think when I had read the Sermon on the Mount before, I almost read it as like a series of like punchlines, of like hard-hitting sayings mm-hmm. that are really good and really brilliant. But this time around, being able to sit 
in a line and then have to, you know, either follow you preaching or, you know, me preaching again is like, okay, how does this connect to what we just said? And being able to see the bigger themes and and how, you know, even in like the Beatitudes, how they build on one another, how they're all connected, the Lord's Prayer even, how uh, there, there's a very intentional thought towards all of it. He was truly delivering a master class when he, when he dropped it. Well, and he's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. We said this on week one that we were basically spending 11 weeks to do what Jesus did in one. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm pretty confident. Like there, well, I know there were no commentaries. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his study life was like. For like, sure. um, you know, the New Testament wasn't written yet. Mm-hmm. Like it, he didn't have a computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Jesus literally stands up on a hillside, mm-hmm. no amplification system, no iPad, mm-hmm. no you know, stand mm-hmm. and delivers that sermon. Mm. It just shows how brilliant he was. And there's a logical flow to it. It seems as if the things are disjointed, yes. like he's talking about anger yeah. and then all of a sudden he switches to this, but it's actually a building progression yes. of what he's teaching that was yeah. just so phenomenal. Mm. No, that's that's good. And even what we were looking at in this series of like, when Jesus um, preached this sermon, it was very countercultural. I mean, that's a big part of one of the sayings that, that he kept saying, like, you've heard it said, but I, I say this. So it was countercultural then. It's countercultural now. Um, so it's like it, it's never fit within the parameters of culture. So, so maybe just give a little bit of a context as to why it was so wild when he said it now and why is it still upside down or right side up even today. Well, I think the main thing to continue to remember with the Sermon on the Mount is that he, in its original context, he was speaking to Jewish people Mm. that had grown up very religious. Mm -hmm. So the Old Testament sacrifices, sacrificial system, the temple, um, they all knew the Torah Mm. really well. Mm. They actually had the first um, four or five books of the Old Testament memorized, most of them. So when he said, you have heard it said, Mm -hmm. they knew exactly what he was talking about Mm -hmm. and what he was referencing. Mm. And so Jesus was actually, you know, deconstruction is a hot word right now. For sure. Jesus was deconstructing mm. what they had sort of grown up with. He was deconstructing the legalistic forms of religion. Mm. The, the way that I would describe religion is our effort to get to God. Mm. And uh, the gospel is God's effort to get to us. Mm. It's a dramatically different viewpoint. It will mm-hmm. radically shift the way that you approach him and the way that you think about connection to mm-hmm. him. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was Mm -hmm. basically saying, you have heard it said, this is what you know to be true about religion and the Old Testament law. Um, I say to you, Mm -hmm. he's speaking with authority. He's actually doing what he came to do, which which was to bridge the gap Mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was what was so countercultural about it. And I think the important thing to remember even too, the Sermon on the Mount is the primary audience is believers. It's mm. like Christ followers. Yes. So he's basically saying to us, um, as followers of Jesus, begin to live out the values of the kingdom. It's mm. actually the most effective thing that we can do to um, clear the way for others to mm-hmm. come to know Jesus mm. themselves, as he's basically saying, live what you believe. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't beating up on the world in this message. He yeah. was actually raising the bar for mm. Christ followers. Mm. And um, I think he's always that, – that's, that's a massive theme throughout mm-hmm. Jesus' life and ministry um, yes. as he speaks to us. Is he's sure. like, live this out. No, that's so good. 
And, you know, doing a deep dive like that um, into scripture. And one of the things you even hinted at earlier of like, hey, a big part of my teaching is to um, teach the Bible in a way that when people leave on Sundays, they have um, the confidence to be able to open their Bibles Monday through Saturday to to learn, to read, to understand and apply God's Word on their mm-hmm. own. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people want, but um, it can be overwhelming. Never have done it before. I know for me, um, you know, coming to church for the first time at 21, I had no idea of like the way it was set up, where to start. Um, I remember one of the first sermons I was there when you were preaching, you were preaching in the book of Acts. And I thought you said the book of Acts, like a lumberjack. A-X. Like it's a very different story. Yeah, A-X-E. Um, so just with people that are like, hey, I want that. I, I want to be able to open up my Bible. Um, could you just kind of share just maybe even a little bit of your personal um, routines or what it looks like for you to get into God's Word daily? Uh, maybe that's time, place. What does that look like for you? Well, I mean, for me, it's first thing in the morning. Cause I just mm. like think clear in the morning and, um, you know, as the day goes on, my mind gets f- foggier and foggier. So, um, yes. I want to be able to be alert, uh, have mm. a good cup of coffee in front of me. Uh, and I think that, you know, my recommendation to a lot of people just like getting into this mm-hmm. is there's a couple of things. I mean, I think that you can download the Uversion Bible app, you know, our friends at Life Church yep. have done an exceptional job with that. It's got all the translations there electronically, mm-hmm. all kinds of Bible reading plans to kind of keep you going through that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that to jump in on one of those, like mm-hmm. a, get on a Bible reading plan that could help you. If your electronics not your thing, I think getting a paper Bible, and I would probably recommend getting um, a copy of Eugene Peterson's The Message, mm. which is a... Hot take. <laughs> I remember when I first started coming to church, the way the message was talked about was like, we don't no, yeah, people like that's to not look down. the Bible. People like to look down but on it. But I love it. So yeah, say more about what the message well, does I mean, Eugene, provide. Eugene Peterson was a scholar, man. Yes. And he wasn't like a 20-something yes. you know, hipster who was trying to make the mm-hmm. Bible cool. Mm-hmm. This was a scholar mm-hmm. that was actually, he originally uh, was putting the New Testament in his own words so that way he could read it to his little girls at night mm-hmm. so they could understand it. And then he was teaching a Bible study in Galatians that wasn't going very well. Mm-hmm. And so he brought that to the Bible study and it enlivened the Bible study. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're understanding it. So he then mm-hmm. they got done with the Galatians and they said, well, can you do Ephesians? Mm-hmm. And so he did that. That's how he got started. He didn't set out to do a new translation of the Bible. In fact, yes. I've heard him say this. He's yeah. since passed away. But he was like, I didn't want to do a new translation of the Bible. He's like, I've, I know my church history. Uh, you get burned at the stake for this. Yeah. And um, and so he very reluctantly went into it. I think it's been such a gift to the mm-hmm. church. It's a some would call it a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a new translation. It's yeah. just him. He knows he knows the original languages and yes. he puts it in today's vernacular. Mm-hmm. So it helps us to understand it. I wouldn't. I don't necessarily preach from it. I'll reference it every now and then if yeah. it helps enlighten something. But I would say get a copy of the message because his introductions to each book mm. is so valuable. Mm-hmm. Like the way he says, hey, here's what the gospel of Matthew is all about. And mm-hmm. it's like three paragraphs and it's so good. Yep. But I think having that handy, because when you do read it in any one of the translations, even the ones that are easier to read, sometimes you'll you'll bump up against it because mm-hmm. it was ri- originally written in Hebrew and Greek. Yep. And so some things don't translate over very well. Mm. But I think when you can read that, you go, oh, okay, that's what it means. Mm. And so I think getting that. And then I think just getting a translation that's easy to read, I recommend either NIV, ESV, or NLT. Mm. And get a good study Bible that has commentary at the bottom that helps bring some explanation to it. Mm. I think it's so helpful. That's good, yeah. 
I know for me, uh, I've went through a few different plans and tried different things over the years. The one I'm doing this year, I've done it before, and it's really good. It's it's a lot. It's the uh, McShane reading plan. I'm probably oh, yeah. butchering this this poor man's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you heard of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I heard about it once again from our brilliant friend Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. It's what he does. So I figured if you know if it's good for him, it's probably great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I love about it, like I said, it is a lot. But you read four chapters a day, and in a year, you read the Old Testament once, the New Testament, and the Psalms twice. Mm. And you get to start in four different places of the Bible. Because I remember mm-hmm. that was one of the biggest hangups for me. Is like I was like, I'm going to read this thing cover to cover. And you start with Genesis, and then you get you're like, out by limitations. Yeah, you're yeah. like, what did I do? What is going on? This is very different. Um, so with this, you start in Genesis, Ezra. Matthew and Acts, so you mm, get this good. broad picture of what's going on. Is this on? Is this on you version? It is on you, you version. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a good one if you're looking for. It is a little intense, but it is worth it um, mm-hmm. to sit in there. Here's the bit. downside. I'm just going to be confessional yeah. here. When it comes to like electronic Bible reading plans, I have to be so careful because I'm like such a checklist achiever, and mm. if I get behind. It's like, okay, let me put this on like three times speed. (laughs) And then I'm like, I'm totally defeating the purpose of like reading the Bible. So I've like tried to intentionally be careful about that. Mm. And just, I would much rather go way slower. Yes. I love the idea of getting through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in a year. I think that's fantastic. And I think everybody should chew for that. But I think if you're wired like I am, where I'm competitive and I'm an achiever, mm-hmm. I can. If I find myself in these settings mm-hmm. where I'm just like, I'm so busy today, let me just try to get, or I've got to catch up or whatever. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm I'm not really listening to God yeah. here. I'm just trying to get through material. Yep. So that is something to keep an eye on. But mm. no, that's good. That's good. Um, so as we've kind of been going through this, and we've hit a lot of topics and and passages through this, it can be overwhelming maybe sometimes to read something and then to pinpoint like exactly, you know, what is God saying to us on this particular day? What are we supposed to do with it? So I guess, are there any um, tips for application that you would say between uh, discerning or narrowing down practical next steps for um, what God could be calling you to as you read through the the scriptures? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I would maybe say like, let yourself off the hook a little bit. Mm. Like you don't always have to do. Mm. So it's like, what do I got to do? What do mm-hmm. I got to do? And it's like to all the doers out there, it's like, just chill a little bit. Like yes. just let God speak. Um, the other thing I would say is as you read through a passage, and I think this is true in a sermon, mm. you can get overwhelmed with all the things. I mean, even for us, like one of the challenging things in delivering a sermon, and you know this to be true, mm. is there's a temptation to share everything that we've studied and learned. Yes, And we just can't do that. Mm-hmm. It would get too complicated, too long, mm-hmm. not clear. So you got to f- sharpen it down. But even then, like you've got three or four application points or whatever. And so it's like, what's the one thing God's saying to me? Mm-hmm. So I think even like, if you just read like 20 verses mm-hmm. and said, Hey God, what are you saying to me through mm-hmm. that passage? Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then show me an opportunity today to actually live this out. I think it's a great prayer to pray Yes, and it'll be a prayer that he'll answer. Mm. And so I think this is like, you know, I think there's a real difference. I'm not a musician. Mm-hmm. I wish I was, but Me too. I think there's a difference between, um, you know, being able to write songs authentically mm-hmm. um, 
and karaoke. Mm. And it's like, I don't want to just do karaoke where I'm just like reading God's word and like, let me just try to kind of pretend to kind of live this out. I want it to be so embedded and baked into me that in real life situations, the fruit of what I've been hearing Mm. God say to me comes out. Mm. I don't know. What about you? Wow. Um, Top that, Ryan. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'll go first. That's why I asked the question. (laughs) Uh, No, I think that's so good of... We should not be walking away from the scriptures overwhelmed or worried about like being able to live up to it. I think as you're reading and understanding, like what you've mentioned before, of like this is a love letter penned to us. This is an opportunity to learn about God and for us to be with God. Um, like that's the the primary thing there. And then to, and I think we think there always has to be more. But what I've seen, anyways, is like. The more time I spend with God, the more time I spend meditating on His words, mm-hmm. His thoughts, um, there is a natural uh, refining that happens. And it's going to come out, and it won't be overnight, but but you'll see of like you commit to this daily process every day for six months, a year, two years, five years. Uh, you begin to see it's a much more natural process than I think I thought of it being a lot of times like, I need to break this down, define what are the three things I can do today to be a better Christian tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I That's think— That's religion. Yeah, it's just like God is—, is put his spirit in you to to awaken and to remove other things through this process of sanctification, becoming made holy, uh, made into his image. And I think that's a very, it's much more slow um, than we give it time for, I think, yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to microwave our Bible reading. Yes. It needs to be like a nice, like, crock pot. Mm. And, you know, I think that... Um, Reading the Bible is so important to understand what we would call the meta narrative. Mm. So it's like, what is the overarching thing? What is the th- what is the Bible? What is the story? Yes. What is the narrative? Mm. And if we think this is a history book, if mm. we think this is a list of do's and don'ts, mm-hmm. we'll read it wrong. Yep. You've also got to understand the genres in which it was written. Mm-hmm. Are you reading history? Are you mm-hmm. reading poetry? Are mm-hmm. you reading prophecy? Mm-hmm. Are you reading narrative? Are you reading apocalyptic literature? You're yeah. gonna, if you don't understand you're reading poetry, you'll read it wrong. Yeah. And I think oftentimes we do, especially in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And the Old Testament, I, once again, we keep referencing Tim Keller. He's mm-hmm. just that brilliant yep. that he said everything that you read in the New Testament is not condoning mm-hmm. God, not condoning it. Mm-hmm. It's God actually warning us of it. Mm-hmm. So you read about slavery and you read about the abuse of women in the Old Testament, you actually see as it plays out mm. that how destructive it is yes. and God's actually warning us of it. Mm. He's not condoning it. Mm. And so if we just dive into the Bible, pick out a cherry pick a verse mm. and then pull out of it mm. and we don't read it within its context, mm. we're always going to misread it. Mm. The other thing I would say is that I was really challenged um, by this. I think I heard John Piper say this years ago, and then I had a, a professor in Bible college that um, had gotten uh, up there in age and he was in a nursing home and he had suffered from dementia and just lost all of his mental capabilities. Mm-hmm. And we've you'll hear about people like that yeah. and, and that end up like all kinds of vile stuff come mm-hmm. out of them, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's cursing mm-hmm. or crude language or whatever. Yeah. And I heard John Piper say this one time that he said, uh, you know, if that ever happens to me one day, I want mm-hmm. what comes out of me to be God's mm-hmm. word. And he's the only way to do that is just decades and decades of ingesting it and yeah. having it. You know, I've hidden your word in yes. my heart that I might not sin against you. Mm. I'm super challenged by that. 
And uh, yeah, it'll do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I'd love love to hear what you say, um, but I'm going to answer first because I don't want to follow you again. Um, but what has <laughs> convicted you the most through this study? Like, how are you different? What's changed? Um, I know for me, you know, what's really kind of jumped over, jumped out of the pages through all the chapters, a constant theme that I don't think I gave enough attention into with my relationship with God was the use of Father. Like Jesus uses it over and over Mm -hmm. and over again, giving us permission to do it. Um, Whether that's through the Lord's Prayer, when He talks about how we pray, who we're praying to, He makes it very clear that you're talking to your Father. And for me, through sabbatical specifically of like having to sit for such a long time with nothing to produce, um, to nothing to show God of like, here's a sermon, here's a project, here's a counseling set, here's something I'm doing to just sit before a holy and powerful God with empty hands. Like the only, like you couldn't do that with a boss. Like you couldn't do that with someone like that, but you can with a father because yeah. the father just wants to be with you. A father just wants to to give more of himself to you, to love you unconditionally. So for me, that's that's wrecked me. And being able to, mm-hmm. I just see it coming out more in my prayer life and even changing the way I view God, which changes the way I, how I believe he views me. So I know that's a big one for me, but yeah, what about you? What's, what's kind of convicted you over this series? Well, you know, I think the whole concept of like, along those very similar lines, like what God wants from me is not um, certain behaviors, it's, mm. but really it's relationship. Mm. And hell is not um, some place that God sends you because you've been bad. Mm. Hell is basically God saying, I'll give you what you want. And so it's like separation from him. I, I would say that like a distancing of God mm. is hell on earth. Mm. There's all kinds of broken relationships, addictions, mm-hmm. ramifications for all that. And then basically it's like, you know, he's he's saying, okay, eternal separation, mm-hmm. that is hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he is your heavenly father. You've been made in his image. You've been made to be in relationship mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm getting ready to um, preach a passage. Maybe by the time this podcast airs, I've already preached it. Mm-hmm. But it was it's a frightening passage mm-hmm. of like, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. He's like, I never knew you. Oh yeah, and I'm sitting here going, I ain't never cast out a demon. Have you, have you Ryan? Like, <laughs> no, no, you know, no. Like I don't know that I've done any sort of like miracle. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and he said, I never knew you. Dang, and that's scary to me. Mm. That whole idea, of like I preached three thousand sermons for you. Mm. Like I was in ministry with you full time, and for him to go, I never knew you. And that, I mean, I'll, I'll just say I get a gut level response that like sobers me and yeah. scares me. Mm. And really, it's not a threat. Yeah. He's basically saying, no, what I really want is your heart. Yes. Not, and yes, come to me. You've messed up. You've sinned. Mm-hmm. Um, but give me your heart. I want to mm-hmm. be in a relationship. And I think that's where he says at the very end, like he doesn't say, oh, we cast out demons and we mm-hmm. did miracles in your name. Uh, away from me, you weren't saved. Mm-hmm. Away from me. He just said, I didn't know you. Yeah. That's relational talk. Yes. And... um I think that's what I'm personally being challenged by right now. Oh, that's so good. And I think that connects so well to what we've been talking about here of carving out time to gravitate towards God's Word so that you can know Him, so that relationship can be strengthened. So many next steps to put into practice this week. Uh, Man, loved having the conversation with you. Um, And for everyone listening, just want you to know that uh, we are with you and we are for you in this 
Great. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to the mm-hmm. podcast. We'll see you at the next one. Thank you.